Well, good morning, Arbor. Hey, I am excited this morning for a couple reasons. Probably the biggest one, and I, I hate to say this, but you guys, football season is back. Oh, oh for some of you who just barely clapped there, you should be clapping a whole lot more because the Seahawks are going to be playing this year, and I am so excited. I am excited. You don't seem to be as excited as me, but you know what's really great this time? My wife is excited. In fact, she, she doesn't like football. She doesn't watch the games with me. She just goes into the other room and, and whatnot. But look at this beautiful meme that she sent me. She sent me this. We're interrupting this marriage for football season. Wasn't that thoughtful of her? You guys, so good. This is going to be a great year. We're going all the way again just to lose in the last second, right? No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. So I'm kidding. Gosh, stop, stop. You know I'm a big fan. All right, so. Here we are. The other reason I'm excited is this. You guys, you're back. Welcome back, okay? Uh, it's, it's the fall, and that means you guys stop going on vacation, and you come to church on a Sunday morning, so it's really good to see you. And because of that, what we're going to do is we're going to start a series, and this series is entitled Together. Where that's coming from is here. It's in our purpose. When you walked in, you saw making disciples right on the wall. That is our purpose. But the little tag word on the end of that is together. That is our preference. Our purpose is making disciples. Our preference is that we would do it together. And so for this series, what I want to do is I want to unpack that word together. And I want to answer the question, why? Why did we add that on the end of Jesus's great big phrase, making disciples? And the reason why we did, just shooting straight with you, is I didn't want to do this alone. In the very beginning when we started this thing, I knew that I did not want a church that was based on the personality of any one person. I wanted to base this church around a community and a community that's centered around a person, and that person is Jesus. And so that's what we're doing here. Um, in fact, this together thing is so important to me. Some of you know this, who were with us in the very beginning, and that is this. We almost, we were this close to naming this church Together Church. How many of you guys know that? Do you remember that? I mean, it was, yes, yeah, so just a few of you guys. We were going to call it Together Church. We even had like a catchphrase, which was we don't have it all together, but we're in it together, you know, cheesy. So you're so glad that we didn't go that direction. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You wouldn't have all these trees and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we didn't go that direction, but still suffice to say, the phrase together, doing this together is very important. So allow me to unpack that over this next series. And starting today, here's the title of my sermon and here's where I'm going. And I'm being serious right from the get-go. Together, when we say the phrase together, we mean like a Lego is what we mean. And some of you guys are like, wait, what are you talking about, Jake? Are you serious? You mean logos, logos, the Greek word for God's word. That's what you're talking about. Is that what you're talking about, Jake? Uh, No, I'm not. I'm actually talking about this, a Lego, just a little piece of connecting piece of plastic. That's what we're going to talk on today. Um, And I get that you might be like, Jake, that's not real spiritual. That's not real deep. Uh, In fact, it's a little bit weird uh, to start off with, but hang with me for a second because I think based underneath this, this idea that we are together like Legos, there are some spiritual principles that we can pull that I think could potentially change your life. And you may think, well, that's a little bit melodramatic, don't you think, Jake? But no, I actually believe that the principles we're gonna talk about today could change the way in which you live. But let's start first talking about Legos. How many of you 
are familiar with Legos? Raise a hand. If you're here, raise a hand. All right, good. Almost every single person inside of here. How many of you had them growing up? You played with Legos growing up. Great. How many of you still have them in your home today? Exactly. There's so many of us. All right. The Lego empire is ridiculously huge since its humble beginnings in Denmark in 1949. There are over, catch this, 400 billion Legos in existence today. That is a lot. I'm not sure who's counting. I'm sure they missed a couple million under beds, couches, and car seats, but there are a lot. If you were to stack all of those Legos, the 400 billion on top of each other, it would be 2,386,065 miles tall. That is 10 times taller than the moon, okay? That is how many Legos are in existence on this planet. Uh, Legos sells about 400 million tires each year, which makes Lego the largest, the world's largest tire manufacturer. They have not changed. I love this. It hasn't changed. You can take a Lego that is today and you can still connect it to a Lego from 1956. In 2000, Lego beat out Barbie and the common teddy bear to become the toy of the century. In 2009, James May uh, of Great Britain created the first full-size Lego house, 3.3 million bricks. This includes a working toilet, which is probably not that comfortable, a bed, and everything else, a shower included, all in there. Lego is huge, you guys. There are retail stores. In fact, there's one in Bell Square. There are Lego amusement parks. There are Lego video games. And to top it all off, there have now been four full-length Lego movies with more in production. Legos are everywhere and are amazing amazing visual aid. But my hope is this. My hope is that after today, when you see a Lego, when you hear the phrase Lego, when you play Legos with your kids, or you just play them by yourself, all right, whatever it is, if you go by the store in Bell Square, I want you to think of today, and I want you to think of the three principles that we're going to be talking about. All right, so the first is this. These colorful pieces of plastic were created with one purpose, to connect. They were created to connect. Without this ability, Legos basically are pointless. There's nothing special about them. In fact, the entire Lego empire can be traced back to this tiny, simple principle. They connect. That's it. And it is the same when it comes to us. We are created to connect. We are created to connect. This is a widely believed truth, not just in Christian circles, regardless of your faith, your background, your culture, or the air in history. Uh, this belief that humans are able to and desire to connect with other humans is universally acknowledged. Friends, it's woven into the fabric of who we are. It is DNA in our being. It is an undeniable aspect of our humanness. We are created with a longing for belonging, to connect with others, humans. Friends, businesses get this. They do. 
Because connection sells, belonging sells. Creating environments where people can connect sells. Take Starbucks, for example. Their success is not just because they, every human wants to spend $4.50 on liquid crack, okay? It is more, it is deeper than that. Allow me to read a portion of Starbucks' mission statement. Here's what they say. They say, when we are fully engaged, we connect with, laugh with, and uplift the lives of our customers, even if it's just for a few moments. Sure, it starts with the promise of perfectly made beverage, but our work goes far beyond that. It's really about human connection. Even Starbucks knows that we were created to connect. Now allow me to read another mission statement. Mission statement. This one by God, first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 26. It says this, it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Now there's a lot of theology that's wrapped up into those 13 words, but there's one grand truth that we need to pull out of here, one thing that we need to understand when it comes to God, and we believe this here at Arbor. We believe that God is triune, literally meaning that God is three in one. We believe in the Holy Trinity. Our God, who has eternally existed, is in the state of divine community, relational harmony in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we look back a little bit at that passage that I just read, it's the first reference of the Trinity. Let us make in our image, in our likeness. One theologian said this. He said, deny the doctrine of the Trinity and you'll lose your salvation. Try to comprehend it and you'll lose your mind. It is hard to grasp. It really is. It is hard to wrap our minds around the doctrine of the Trinity. It's a little bit confusing. But one thing we can wrap our heads around is this statement, this principle. You cannot impart what you don't possess. I cannot give you what I do not have. If I have $1,000, I could give you $1,000. If I don't have $1,000, I can't give you $1,000. You cannot impart what you don't possess. And because the Godhead exists in a state of relationship, that's something that God can and has imparted to us. He has made us in his likeness, creating us with the ability, catch this, to connect with him and to connect with one another. And a couple chapters over, and actually the next chapter over, it says this in Genesis. It says, the Lord God said, It is not good for man, for the man, to be alone. If you were to actually look at the creation account that's inside of Genesis, you'll notice that there is a phrase that is repeated seven times. God will make something and then he will say, this is good. This is good. This is good. He went all the way through that. But then he takes a major break, a left turn, and he sees Adam by himself, and he says, this is not good. What is not good? Isolation, loneliness, seclusion. So what does God do? He completes creation, put his finishing touches on it by creating Eve, and thus the beginning of community. 
After that, what he did is he broke away from the this is good, this is good, this is good statement again when he said this is very good. Friends, God put, simply put, God put inside of us, into our very DNA, a longing, a desire, and a hunger to connect. We desire it. All of us do. Years back, when I was in high school, my dad decided that on our property, he was going to dig a pond. And he dug a pond, and it was a huge pond, and then inside of it, we wanted to stock it with fish. So you know what my job was in high school? Best job ever. Go fishing. Take a five-gallon bucket, fill it with water, catch fish, put it in the bucket, bring the fish back, and pour it into our pond. Now, I don't know if that was legal or not, but we did it. And so I went out, and I would go fishing by myself, which I enjoyed fishing by myself. But this day, I went out, and there was nobody on Tanawax Lake, just me. And I'm out there fishing. And Tanawax Lake, I'm just going to tell you this, is full of tiny fish. You cast out, you reel, you bring it in. It's like your pole bounces a little bit, but there's no struggle. You can, it doesn't, there's no struggle just to get the fish in. So they were small fish, and I was putting them inside of this bucket. Well, it was just me on this lake until all of a sudden this other boat comes out, and they come out onto the lake as well. And they're a ways off, but in the moment that I noticed the boat, I also noticed that my pole just went, bing, bent down, like it's never bent down at Tanawax Lake before. And I thought to myself, how in the world did I snag the boat, right? How did I snag that boat? And then I realized they're way too far off for me to snag. And then I noticed that my line is still moving. Like it is bouncing all over the place, but it's not just bouncing, it's taking line. The fish is taking line. The most beautiful sound to a fisherman is when that line goes, and just like, ah. So it's going. The fish is going. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I am struggling to get this in. Eventually I land it. Now friends, you're going to say you're making up a fish story. And yes, this is a fish story, but it is true. I pulled in a 10-pound bass. To give you perspective, the state record at the time was a little over 11 pounds. This is a huge fish, so big that when I put it in the five-gallon bucket, its tail stuck out. It was that big. The state record now is 12.6, and I pulled it in. It was amazing. I was so excited. I was so thrilled, and there was nobody to share it with. <laughs> nobody. Immediately, I realized I'm alone, and there's nobody. Go look at this. This was before cell phones. I couldn't, like, take a snap picture of it and show everyone and send it out there. So you know what I did? There was one other boat on the lake. I drove over to them, pulled up alongside them, and I said, you guys, fuck it. And I showed them the bucket and I pulled out the fish and they thought I was the weirdest guy they had ever seen in their life. But I had to connect to someone in that excitement because it was natural to do. It is natural for us to connect. There is a desire for us to connect. It's how God wired us. We were created to connect. That's my first point. Second one is this. The second way in which we are like a Lego is that we are stronger together. We are stronger together. Ladies, I will give you childbirth as the most painful experience that you could have inside of this life, in this world. But second to that, just under it, 
is stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night on the floor with bare feet. Right there, so difficult, so painful. There is an inerrant strength in every single Lego, but combined, they're even stronger as which my friend found out in the summer of 1996. His name's Pat. This is my buddy, Pat. I had lunch with him on Thursday. In fact, he's going to come and he's going to help us speak in the next sermon. He comes here every once in a while. He is a very dear friend. And I asked him if I could have permission to share this story as he talked about his experience in the fifth grade. In the fifth grade, his parents took him to see a group of people known as the power team. Anybody know who the power team are? You have to be, have been around for a long time. These are bodybuilders who would travel around from church to church to church. They're huge. And they would share the gospel after they wowed the crowd to ripping phone books in half, bending rebar. They would break ice with their shoulders and they would karate chop submit. And you'd be like, wow, I want to give my life to Jesus. That's what they did. <laughs> It was amazing. <laughs> Pat was already giving his life to Jesus, but when he was there and he saw them, he walked away and he knew exactly what God had called him to do with his life. All four foot, 63 pounds of him, he was going to be a member of the power team. And so Pat told me he had no time to lose, that he went home and the next day what he did is he began training. And so he grabbed his set of Lincoln Logs and he would put them out and he said he built two little structures and he'd put the Lincoln Log in the middle and he'd go, wacha! Right? He'd chop it in half and he would snap it and he would like pretend that there's a huge crowd and then he'd beat his chest and he'd chop it. And he said he went through all of his Lincoln Logs and his mom wasn't happy, but he chopped all of his Lincoln Logs. And so he had nothing left and he thought, oh, I know what I'll use. I'll use Legos. And so he made a little line of Legos across the way and he chopped it and he thought that was too easy. And so he said what he constructed next was the Great Wall of China, right? He built it, he reinforced it, but he knew with God's strength, he was going to get through it. And so what he did is he said in that moment, he was pretending that an audience of thousands were there. They're cheering him on. And he goes up with his arm and comes down as hard as he possibly could. And it doesn't break. But something did break that day. And here is a picture of that right now, how Pat spent the remainder of that summer right there. He smashed and broke his arm. And he said it was a continual reminder of one thing. And that was it, is that Legos are stronger together. Legos are stronger together. And friends, so are people. So are people. We are stronger together. In Mark chapter 2, we see this beautiful picture of strength in community. Jesus is in a town called Capernaum. And what's interesting, he's back in town. And his reputation has obviously preceded him. His reputation is that he is someone who helps people. Friends, if I could stop for two seconds and say, Arbor, that's what I want of us. I want our reputation here at this church to be that we help people, that we help people. And Jesus is back in town in Capernaum. And when he's there, all of a sudden people start to gather. 
inside of this house, theologians think it was actually Simon's house because he visited Simon's house and stayed there the first time he was there. But we don't know. But people are piling into this place where there's no room to get in. And there are these guys, right? And we'll start, talk about it here in verse, or verse 3, Mark chapter 2. These guys who helped their friend. Here's what it says. Some men came bringing to him, him being Jesus, a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So four guys. Since they could not get to, uh, could not get to him, to, or could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So these four guys, these four bros, have a chance to go and see Jesus. But the first thing that they think of, the first instinct need reaction is not to rush and get over to the house so they could see the miracles and to hear his teaching. Their first knee reaction was to go somewhere else. In fact, it was to go find someone that they knew. They went and found their friend, this paralyzed guy. And maybe I just... I'm just adding to this here. Maybe this is what happened, but maybe the last time they came through, they heard all the stories of Jesus' healings and they missed it. And they thought if he ever comes back, we know who to take to him, our friend, this paralyzed guy who spends his days lying on his back staring at the ceiling. And so they don't run there. They run and they go and they grab their friend and they're good friends. I imagine that these guys, there's a good chance these were the guys who took meals to him that these were the guys who brought him their clothes and that these were the guys who visited his home just to talk with him, to get to know him. They were good friends to him. Now you might think, Jake, wow, that's a lot of speculation and you're taking a lot of creative license because I don't see that in the scripture there and you're right, that's not in the scripture. But here's what we do read. We read that there are four guys who carried a paralyzed man on a mattress, dug through the roof, and jimmy-rigged away for them to get this guy lowered down to Jesus. You don't do that for just anyone. You do that for a friend. You do that for somebody that you love. And so he does that. They do that. And a few verses later... Jesus says something to this guy. This guy who's never walked, who is paralyzed, maybe he walked, maybe something happened, we don't know. But he says something to this guy. You want to know what he said? Do you want to know what he said to the crowd, when the crowd, to this guy, when the crowd was looking around and they knew that that's the paralyzed guy? And here he comes down on that. Do you want to know what he said amidst the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were there simply to have an argument? And probably, and actually most likely, believed that he was there and his impairment was deserved. You want to know what he said to the four faces that came down? He looked at the man and he said this. He says, you're forgiven. He said, you are forgiven. First, Jesus takes care of the man's spiritual paralysis. And then Jesus takes care of the man's physical paralysis. He says, get up, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And you know what's amazing? The guy actually did. He stood up, he turned around, and he moonwalked out of that place. Or at least that's how I picture him leaving. Scripture is clear that Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick but what's amazing about this story and makes it stand apart from the rest 
is that this story shows us what can happen when healthy people take a sick person to Jesus. This story got me to thinking, if I was, if I had the opportunity because Jesus was here on earth today, if he was here, who would I take to him? Who would, would I run and would I try to get to the front of the house? Would I try to get a good seat so I could see the good shows, so I could hear the good words? Or would I turn and find someone to bring to him? Who would you bring to Jesus? If he was literally here, who would you bring to him? Who would your family bring to him? I have read and I have heard this story a dozen times. I've heard it preached on And maybe you have too, but this is the first time that I have ever thought and wondered what if these four guys did not take this person to Jesus? What if they just went and ran to the house to see what they could see? What if they hadn't befriended him in the first place and spent time getting to know him? Would this guy have ever been healed? Would he have experienced the joy of running and skipping and moonwalking? Would he? The answer is we don't know. I don't know. But here's what we do know. We know that that guy was incredibly grateful for those friends. I would never be more thankful for friends in my life than in that situation. I found this to be true. Community is a conduit, a channel that Jesus' love, power, and healing flow through. It's like an electrical cord that runs power from the source to where it is needed. Friends, this is why we make such a big deal about groups in this place. You probably get tired of us saying, ah, you should join a group, you should join a group, you should join a group. Do you want to know why we say that? Because you should join a group. (laughs) On Sunday mornings, sitting here, yes, you might learn something. You could be inspired. You could have good conversation on a Sunday morning, but everything goes three miles deeper when you jump into a group. Real life change happens in the midst of community and in the midst of a group. Let me read you something that a friend of mine named Lindsay wrote about her group. This is so beautiful. She said, we are enormously blessed that God brought each couple in our group together as a family. We have delighted in the birth of a baby, mourned the passing of parents and loved ones, cried together in the not now answers to prayer, and rejoiced in the yes of a miraculous healing. We explore God's word, creation, ourselves, and our relationship always over a delicious meal that we all enjoy together. Jesus is our anchor and centerpiece And we are fortunate to have been blessed by him through each other's love, support, cooking, and wine. For us, the connection we have with our group carries us through life's everyday struggles. Friends, I don't want any of us to walk through this life alone. The reality is we don't know what lies ahead. We don't know what's around the corner. Could be bad. Could be good, could be ugly. But you don't have to turn the corner on your own. You can turn it with a community of people who love and support you. So if you have not joined a group, my suggestion would be pick that thing up, fill it out, and hand it to Anna. What do you have to lose? 
The truth is we are stronger together. And this is where together happens in the strongest way inside of this church. My final thought is this. Our connectedness communicates to a watching world. Our connectedness communicates to a watching world. Let me explain as we look back at, at, uh, at Legos just for a second. There are tons of Lego sets out there. Tons. You can buy a set of castles. You can buy a set of a car. You can buy a set of a boat. You can buy a set of a spaceship if you've seen the movie. All right? You can buy sets all over the place, but there's one specialty set called the um, architectural set. And you can find different structures, different landmarks, different famous buildings, historical sites. For example, you don't have to go to Paris. You can build the Eiffel Tower in your living room. You don't need to go to London because you can see Big Ben built on your countertop. I don't know why, but the Space Needle for Seattle is like the smallest one. (laughs) But my buddy had this one inside of his office. But if you were to search online, if you were to look at the agricultural series or the architectural series um, online, you would see that the Mac Daddy of all Mac Daddy um, structures, Lego landmarks, is this. And instead of simply showing you a pic, I want you to watch and see. I want you to watch and see as these brick by brick come together, as Lego by Lego is stacked on top of each other. This is considered online to be the most difficult Lego structure to put together. It is the famous Sydney Opera House. The famous Sydney Opera House. 9,000. Sorry, that was gotten really small. 2,989 pieces to make this thing. And you're thinking, Jake, you have a lot of time. And I didn't build this, just so that you know. Mike tagged it. He has lots of time. So (laughs) there you are. But every single piece is special. Each piece is unique. You can see here, there's a few pieces that are the same, but... Every single piece put together here is unique. They, you know, they're different shapes. It would be really weird if you were to get a box of Legos and it had all the same pieces inside of it. Not only that, but every piece matters. All 2,989 of them. None of them are left in the box. Every piece counts. And if you've ever built something out of a box and you have leftover Legos, you have done it wrong. Because every piece counts. Now, here's what's beautiful. Once every piece is connected, what happens here is you're left with something that showcases right here specifically the grandeur of the real Sydney Opera House down to the details. You have things like the, like the, the lights and the steps and the windows and all those things. Everyone looks at this would know that you're looking at the Sydney Opera House. And you could probably see where I'm going with this. Arbor. We, too, are called to showcase something. In fact, more specifically in that, we are called to showcase someone that is greater than ourselves. And we, too, are all different and we are all unique. 
We are different ages, races, background. Some are married. Some are single. Some of you like corn on the cob. Some of you prefer corn off the cob. Our diversity, hear me on this, should be celebrated as our unity communicates something beautiful to the world. I'm going to actually go back and read that again because that's amazing. Our diversity should be celebrated as our unity communicates something beautiful to a watching world that we live in. I want you to look at John chapter 17. This has been called Jesus' dying wish at times. It's a portion of um, prayer that Jesus prayed right before he was given up and arrested and before his death. Here's what he prayed. And we'll walk through this a little bit slow. Here's what it is. My prayer, this is Jesus talking here, is not for them alone. Who is them? Them are the disciples. I pray also for those, and this is awesome, for those who will believe in me through their message. Whose message? The disciples' message. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about us. Jesus is talking about us. He is praying for us. Us, that all of them, talking about all of us, may be one, that we would be unified together. And then he continues. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, right there, another reference to the Holy Trinity. May they, speaking about us, also be in us, so that, now here's the reason, here's the point, here's the purpose of the passage and the prayer, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, unified together, as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that, now what he does here is he expands upon his purpose statement. He says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, will know that you sent me, the world will know peoples, and have loved them. Again, he's talking about us, even as you have loved me. Jesus is specifically praying that we would be, we would, not the disciples, we would be connected together as one. That's what he's praying. That we would be so close-knit in community, because Jesus knows that through our connectedness, people will come to believe in him. Did you hear me say that? Through our connectedness, people will know and come to believe in him. Jesus knows that the most compelling thing to an unbelieving world is true Christian community. It was his dying wish. Now, what I find so interesting, you guys, and honestly, downright sad, is the opposite is happening. And you know this. Because the church is disunified, because we're arguing about all these petty things rather than agreeing on the person of Jesus, a watching world has no interest in the greatest message that we hold. That's got to change. And Jesus himself says that changes through unity. 
And I'm not talking just dividing in here. We can have different opinions and different theologies, but we've got to stack hands. They should look at us and go, there's something different about them. What is different about them? I want that. And so nobody's asking that question outside of the church. We've got to become unified. Jesus said this very, very popular passage, but often misunderstood these days. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by what? Hold on, I'm gonna answer that in a sec. By this, everyone, the world watching, will know that you are my disciples if you love, here's the key, who? One another. What is so interesting is I hear this talked about, this passage a lot. And people will say, they, know, they will know you are my disciples by your, and people will say love, and then they stop there. But notice, it's how we would love one another. Love people that are sitting next to you in the pew. People that are sitting right next to you right now. People that are in this room. People that are in other churches proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to have unity with them. Together means we're together. Not arguing together, together. And we can agree on the person of Jesus and what he's done inside of us. So important. A watching world needs what we have. And that's hope. We have hope. My prayer is that every time you see a Lego, every single time you play with one, every time you hear the word Lego, that you would remember we are to live like Legos, that we are created to connect like a Lego, that we are stronger together like a Lego, and that our connectedness communicates to a watching world, and they need to hear the hope that we have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.